Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things anxiety and big emotions. We are doing a social anxiety series, and today we're actually talking about shyness. I'm so excited because I have a special guest, Nadia Feiner. Uh, Nadia, she's a regular speaker in organizations and schools around the UK. She's appeared on Radio 4, Saturday Live, Women's Hour, the ITV News. She's been in the Times, Guardian, Telegraph, Independent, and in Good Housekeeping. And we're going to discuss what shyness is and all the things about shyness. Embracing shyness is a strength and and Nadia really is that shyness expert and she talks about it's okay to be shy and shyness is essential in today's world and being successful in today's world. Nadia is on a softly spoken mission to help shy people to be more mighty Um, and she's UK's leading shyness expert, the author of two books about shyness in addition to everything else I've already said that she's done and shy and mighty kids and I'm very excited to have her on the show today. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's very exciting to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me and uh, for inviting me on the show. Yeah, it's it's an important topic. I'm I'm go- in the social anxiety sort of piece right now. And so this, this is going to fit perfectly with that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Okay, sure. Well, um, I work with children and with grown-ups. Um, in organisations and in schools and individually too, um, I work with shy people. Um, People who feel like their shyness is holding them back from achieving the kinds of things they know they're capable of or they feel like they're kind of stuck in um, a shyness kind of, um, well, some people call it a prison Um, They feel kind of like it's blocking them or stopping them from doing things. They're missing out. So um, I work with people one-to-one or going into schools and working with groups of kids, giving talks and generally being a kind of shyness um, warrior or campaigner, I guess, trying to raise awareness of shyness. Okay. And from your perspective, I know a lot, you know, when we look at the anxiety literature, we kind of separate there's the those who are socially anxious versus those who are shy. So maybe if you could just tell us what shyness is. Yeah, see, there's a lot of um, confusion or discussion about what shyness actually is. And I think that's part of the problem. Um, To my mind, Shyness is a social anxiety. Um, And if there was a spectrum, um, it would be kind of the lower end of the spectrum where social anxiety or what we think of as social anxiety, um, almost with a capital S and a capital A, that would be kind of at the further end. Um, Some people consider it to be a kind of personality type as well. Um, you know, you could be a shy person, it's part of who you are. Um, Whereas for others, shyness kind of pops up occasionally or in certain situations or when things are new and uncertain um, and kind of impacts their life or um, creates some additional challenges. So they're kind of related, shyness and social anxiety. And I think the other issue is that particularly amongst young people, and on social media, where um, they are really referring to shyness, 
they've kind of they use the term social anxiety to describe that because actually and you might disagree with me but this is this is my point of view um social anxiety is quite extreme you know it's a pretty serious thing something that can be um, medicated um and affects a small number of people whereas if you study the number of mentions for example on instagram um, of shyness versus social anxiety you can start to see that people are kind of um latching onto the terminology social anxiety when perhaps what they're dealing with is actually shyness in general right so how would you then i mean it is a it's not a dichotomy you either are socially anxious or not or shy or not there is that sort of continuum what would you say would be different if you were to differentiate between the two are there more strengths you know is shy i i shyness is probably not as impairing as social anxiety for example yeah exactly so social anxiety um is perhaps something you experience all the time it's more um limiting on your life so you might feel socially anxious when you're eating in front of others when you get on a bus when you um in any kind of group situation it can get to the point where you know every time you leave the house you have your social anxiety um is a problem for you whereas shyness um it's more like something that's maybe just sort of part of you flares up if you're giving um a talk or talking in front of a group but you are less likely to feel shy you know just as you close the front door of your house and walk down the road, maybe go and get a coffee. You might feel shy when you're ordering the coffee, but you could probably drink it and be okay and not worry about going to the toilet, you know? Right. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about that too, because I know, well, even for my own self, I would say I'm a very shy person, but people who see me either, you know, on the, my podcast or when I'm up on stage or doing anything, I mean, they would say, no, you're extroverted. You are so engaging and easygoing, but one-on-one or in a social gathering, I am hiding behind my husband shy. So do you see that too, where people might be a little bit more boisterous and outgoing in certain situations and shy in others? Yeah, and the fa- the sort of fascinating thing with it is that it's not the same for everyone. So my experience of shyness is different to yours. And so I think it leads to misunderstanding and confusion because people think, well, hang on, how come you can give that talk? You're not shy. So for me, I've become used to public speaking, going on podcasts, but the other day um, after a talk, someone gave me a bunch of flowers and they kind of crumbled. It was so embarrassing. I need. I just wanted to hide behind the flowers. So although I'd got through the talk, suddenly that kind of interaction of being handed the flowers and I felt like people were looking at me differently. It was just super awkward. So you can see how it flares up in certain situations, but not in others. And everyone's experience of it is different. So I, I can stand in front of 250 people or a thousand people and give a talk. But if I'm in a room full of, say, 10 people and I have to say, like, introduce myself, I find that really difficult. So, yeah. you know, it's in some ways it makes life interesting because 
it's kind of such a it's like a slippery fish you know it's different for everyone and um I think that's part of the fascination for me trying to understand it and help people and nobody comes with the same you know there's similarities but nobody's experience is identical yeah um so it's it's quite a, a unique a unique experience that's important to consider. Now, a lot of the people listening, it's mental health professionals, teachers, parents, supporting kiddos, teenagers, young adults um, with anxiety, big emotions and shyness. What would be the things that you would want these adults to know and how, how we support our kiddos? Oh, it's such a good opportunity for me to talk about it because it's something that nobody seems to talk about. Um, so kids will often get told repeatedly, you need to put your hand up more, you need to speak up in class, don't be so shy. That's the kind of feedback they're getting. So the impact of that is um, it's not practical advice or encouragement. It's kind of the same old, same old feedback, which people don't really know what to do with. Um, you can't change someone's personality. Um, you can't change who they are, nor should you. Um, I think shy people are not broken. We don't actually need to be fixed. So that that's a good starting point, because I think um, often we're made to feel that we need to change and become an outgoing person, like somehow we are not, um, yeah, that we're flawed somehow. There's something wrong with us, and that's mm-hmm. just not true. So let's start there. Um, And I think encouraging people gently to find their voice, their voice, not somebody else's, um, is a good thing to do. And that does not mean like shoving someone onto the stage because you feel like they should participate in that way. I would say never underestimate the, the, the tininess of the steps that someone may need to take. Um, in order to build up to doing a thing so what I mean by that is let's say we're thinking about kids speaking up more in class well we need to break it down into tiny tiny steps that they can take one by one and almost have a plan that they're going to do one thing after the other culminating in them putting their hand up and sharing something in class And then once they've achieved that, then the next goal might be, okay, now we're going to aim for them to stand at the front of the class and share something. But the steps to get there will be tiny. So whether they need someone to be with them, whether they start by, you know, putting their hand up and asking a question, let's say, would be a thing to aim for before they share some sort of well-formulated argument, you know, like a tiny right. thing. Um, and I think ask them what they need. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it sounds so obvious. And yet, for some reason, it's not happening. People don't ask, what do you need? What do you need to help you to do this? How can I, you know, how can we make this easier for you? Right. Um, If we can also encourage quieter people to take control, like there's options. Does it always need to be done the way it's always been done? Mm 
do we need to always have to present our work in front of the year group? You know, I see kids traumatized by the fact that they have to do public speaking in front of hundreds of people. Like that's a massive big deal. So maybe for, you know, for some kids, even being in that room is hard. Yeah. Just being there, let alone standing up and, you know, doing a piece of like oratory genius. Um, that's a lot of pressure. So maybe looking at the way we do things and, you know, is it possible to share work in writing, share feedback in writing, have some huddles or one-to-ones? Um, do we always need to be doing things in big groups? It's not wimping out. It's it's kind of warming up and building up to it rather than feeling like, you know, oh, you're giving them the easy option somehow. Because in the future, you know, I'm a shy person. I find like phoning someone difficult. I get nervous before doing something like this, but I can do big things because I've practiced. Um, if I'd have had that support when I was younger, you know, maybe some of the things that I find scary would be fine by now. Right. I'm the same way. I actually took my voicemail off my phone just because calling anyone or even receiving calls can be so anxiety provoking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you raise a really good point about collaborating with the kiddos. You know, I'm always talking about, we have to have the confidence that kids can do anything. If they want to go up and do an hour long presentation, we've got the confidence that they can, but we we don't want to push them. So it's going at the step and at the rate that they're, I don't want to say comfortable with, because we want them to stretch a little bit. If they always stayed only in their comfort zone, we probably wouldn't get anywhere. So what they're willing, they're bought into if it is those baby tiny steps, but we got to kind of follow their lead on that. Yeah, I think of it like comfortable courage. So it's being brave, but just you don't want to be so brave that you've got the shakes and you're going to throw up, you know, just a little bit brave because then you can do that again the next day and the next day and the next day. If it's so anxiety inducing and scary, you're going to need to like a lie down and a rest for like two weeks before you try again right and you may never want to so I think it's it's logical but also putting a strategy in place I've not really been to a school before where they're talking about this and helping the kids to have a plan you know to address this and work on it logically and say right what's the goal what are these steps going to be let's break them down let's make them a little bit smaller even and every time you achieve one you know we're gonna I don't know give you a gold star or and at the end you get a big prize whatever it is um just being that kind of logical um because if you do that and then you do it again you do it again it builds it's about being consistent so I would like to see people talking about shyness. Um, It's not a shameful secret. You know, I get messages from people in their 60s who tell me that this is the first time they've ever, like, told anybody that they're shy. Wow. I know, and I was kind of the same. Like, the experiences that I had, I never told anybody what I was going through or how I felt. I just kept it to myself and it can't be a surprise because we're shy we're not really keen on talking anyway right right so we just hold it in and I think if 
know, me going around talking about it helps people to realise it's okay. And suddenly in schools, the kids are talking about it amongst themselves or saying, you know, I feel shy in this situation, or so do I. You know, then it becomes part of the normal human condition. Because ultimately, like in the UK, 57% of people are shy. In America, it's about 40%. Um, it depends culturally from country to country, but on the whole, it's sort of 40 to 60%. Um, and 99% of people have felt shy at some point. Right. So everybody has some pretty much at some point. So and it's it not is, so rare. It, it is so important to talk about because I worry about, you know, we've got our socially accepted kiddos who they're usually the outgoing popular everybody wants to be their friends everybody knows them they're at the center of attention we've got the socially rejected who's still usually the center of attention but for not so good reasons they're disruptive and acting out and bouncing off the walls and you know weird um but then I worry about these kids they're the socially neglected because and especially yeah. you know parents might not see how they're interacting. They might fret and worry at home, but maybe not doing anything in the class. They usually slip through the uh, through the cracks because they're quiet. They sit nicely, right? Yeah. And so they're just, oh, they're doing good. And so that's the piece that I worry about. Me too. Um, I've been told it's, you know, they fly under the radar. And I like to think it's you know, like the silent potential. It's the silent potential in every classroom. Um, but then it's the silent potential in every meeting, in a workplace, you know, in society as a whole. It, it's not just schools and kids. It's it's people, you know, adults. And it blows my mind because you start to think about our institutions, healthcare, um, you know, the legal system, like everywhere. Like how many voices don't are not heard you know people that don't feel comfortable speaking up but for kids who are shy they don't cause trouble they're not being disruptive they're doing their homework probably I mean you know most of the kids I work with are not you know perhaps not performing at their best but they're not um bad students they're conscientious but the problem is they just they're not putting themselves forwards. They're missing out on opportunities. They're under the radar. They're, you know, people are not really noticing them. And they're frustrated because they know they can do better. They want to be part of it. They want to join in, be involved in activities and extracurriculars, but they're not. And so I think often the first sign is that kind of feedback from the teachers. Maybe parents don't even know what's going mm. on because the kids are not necessarily telling their parents. Right. I feel shy in this situation or I'm struggling with the group dynamics or socially or I didn't go for the play or the performance. I, I didn't put my name down. And, you know, teachers not wishing to generalize but I've spoken to lots of teachers about this you don't tend to get many shy teachers mm. Mm. because of the nature of, of the yeah. job so there's a lack of understanding sometimes because or even frustration from teachers who think well why what's 
what's up with them why are they not taking part maybe they're not interested or they're a bit disengaged um so they don't really kind of understand how the kids are feeling um so I think there's definitely work to be done there um, in supporting them and it honestly doesn't take much to make a difference mm-hmm. you know when I work with kids in schools after a few sessions it's good in a group like a small group because they get to practice um, but after a few sessions they start feeling more comfortable they've made friends within the group they start putting their hands up they feel like it's okay to be them and they don't need to change and be this kind of loud person or somehow you know fake it till they make it they can be themselves um and so quite quickly it does have an impact but the problem is that this is not widely spoken about I feel like I might be the only person who talks about well, you're right. Like, I really think that, that it is. And, and I work even my teenagers, but, but adults now who've always felt like they never had anything important to say. They always thought that they were an afterthought because they wouldn't be the, oh my gosh, I got to invite Susie to the party. It's when they're, everybody's at the party, somebody's like, where's Susie? And they're like, oh my gosh, I forgot Susie. And so that really over time, breaks people down because they feel like they're always an afterthought. It's not that nobody loves them or doesn't want them to be there. They're just so that they are sort of that wallflower that it's really easy to just hide and be forgotten, even though they're well-liked. And I do worry about it. I think it's easy to be overlooked and underestimated and to feel like your voice does not matter or that you don't matter. I think it kind of comes sometimes from a feeling that you're not important or that people don't value you. And that can actually make your feelings of shyness worse. Like mm-hmm. one feeds into the other. So it just goes round and round in a loop and leads to more hiding. But then that plays out, you know, in school, obviously, like with social stuff. But then, you know, oh, we're looking for volunteers to do this, to work on this project we're looking for people to put themselves forward to apply for this university or where you know we've there's a job here who wants to who wants to kind of submit their cv and when there's a feeling of competitiveness or, or competition we stand back and think oh well i haven't really got anything to add or i'm not worthy of that and it's been entrenched in you from years and years of feeling like you're on the edges and then you can see how as an adult that plays out you know you're not going for promotion or asking for a pay rise or applying for the job or you feel like maybe handling that job interview at all is too much right yeah so So, and it's not like you said you know, this isn't something that we need to fix. There's nothing wrong. I think, well, maybe let's, I've got a couple of questions, but what, what would you say are some of the strengths of shy people? Well, this is such a good topic and something which I wish I had thought of when I was a kid. It did not occur to me for one moment that there was a positive, there were any positives to being the way I am, but Um, the kids and the adults that I've met and the research I've done we have so many strengths and even if you just 
try not to think about the negatives for one moment and think about the positives like sure we don't like being put on the spot but what's the flip side well we love to prepare and since when is that a bad thing you know being prepared is a good thing in loads of situations sure we're not talking all the time and we don't love the sound of our voices necessarily but we like to listen and observe and see what's going on and think about things in detail. We're not driven by fame or um, accolades, like that's embarrassing actually, but quality of work and purpose, that stuff means something to us. And maybe we don't work the room and love like being social butterflies and talking to hundreds of people all at once, but we like strong connections like we're loyal and we get to know people properly and once we know them we we care for them and they become an important part of our lives and you know it also cannot be um coincidence that a lot of writers me included are shy you know maybe speaking and trying to be kind of coherent and articulate under pressure (laughs) is difficult (laughs) but you know, we can write well because you can think it through um, and review what you've said and look at how it might be interpreted. So, you know, you can see there, there's just a few, but it's the flip side. It's There's a lot of strengths and we tend to focus on the fact that we're not this and we're not that. And, oh, look at her over there. She's so this and so outgoing and so loud and she's so good at dancing and singing and everyone seems to love her and we wish we were different instead of thinking actually do you know what I've got two really good friends I'm a brilliant friend I'm loyal I do anything for my friends and you know when I submit work it's of a real high quality because I do it properly and I think things through and I come up with good ideas and it's well observed you know right right and and I, I think that that's important in our brain. I always talk about on my show, this negativity bias where we do only focus on the negative and we downplay some of those positives. So when working with kiddos, how do you get them to embrace that shyness, to see those strengths and not just telling them, because I know when we just tell them, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can actually make them feel worse, but get them to really buy in and embrace that. Yeah, I work with them kind of over a number of weeks through a sort of process. I mean, it's not a fixed process because it depends on the kid. If I went in there on week one and said, hey, you know that thing that you've been struggling with for ages? Well, I'm telling you it's a superpower. They would probably just not listen and tell me to shut up. So that doesn't work. We build up to it gradually. Um, And I think the first few weeks are really just trying to talk about how they feel about being shy, what it's like, when it happens, what happens in their body, um, how does it impact their life and what would they like things to be, how would they like things to be different? And then from there, we do little exercises and games and just start getting them to build their self-esteem up a little bit so that they can see that maybe then firstly, they're not alone. Let's look out for other shy people at school. Like, we tend to think everybody is this extreme outgoing person, but that's just not true. If you look around the class, you'll see that actually there's, you know, maybe five of you who are quite quiet. And it's 
maybe three or four people who are dominating all the conversations. So why are we focused on them? Um, so we just do little games and activities to try and build um, their bravery muscles. And then I'll introduce the idea that maybe the thing that they've told me about, maybe music or art or um, writing might, you know, that's their strength. And why do we, why is that something to be dismissed? Like, why should that be less important than the ability to stand in front of the class and present? Right. Yeah, that's great. Have you ever had a kiddo who says everything's hunky-dory, nothing needs to change, I'm fine being shy and being the wallflower where we're trying, but but we know that it would do them good to be a little braver in their life? Yeah, sometimes they say things like the other day I was working with a boy who, um, you know, he said, oh, school's like eight out of ten, it's fine, like I'm getting on well in my lessons. Um, but I just keep kind of asking questions and putting them at ease until eventually he said, well, actually, you know, school stuff's okay, but I struggle to understand what's going on in social situations. And, you know, that's some, that's an interesting statement in itself. And I wanted to understand whether, like, does he not understand what, like, what they're actually saying or and it turned out, you know, he felt like he wasn't being included. So he kind of missed stuff. So there were in jokes and things like that, that he felt he was missing out on. And then we talked a bit about girls. Because mm-hmm. um, it's a mixed school. I think you guys say co-ed. And mm-hmm. um, he, you know, he he found it difficult to talk to girls. So on the face of it, things were fine. But actually, there's a few things he would like to work on. I just give kids the opportunity to ask me for help with the thing that they need help with. And I think because I understand and um, have a kind of soft approach with them and I'll tell them stories about the things that happened to me when I was a kid and the things that happened to me now, they feel like it's okay to tell me um, and then we can work on it just a little bit at a time. Right. And I think that there's, that just kind of reminded me, I think there's a couple of things that we need to look at. One is perception, because I think a lot of these kiddos perceive themselves as incompetent, inadequate socially, even though they might have beautiful social skills and it's not a skill deficit at all. It's just their perception. And these are the kids who say, nobody likes me. I have no friends. Meanwhile, they're getting birthday invites. They're having playdate invites, but, but their perception is that they're unsuccessful versus the children who really do have some skill deficits that could work on some social skills, knowing how to initiate an interaction, maintain an interaction, um, understand those jokes and, you know, timing and all of those kinds of things. So I think it's important for us to sort of tell what's going on for this kiddo. Is it more a mindset thing or are there actually skills that we could be working on or both? Oftentimes it's both. Yeah, often it is both. And it could just be that they almost need to start by doing a little bit of work. So perhaps researching, like, what do they want to talk to people about? Or here are some, you know, what are this, what do these things that people are saying mean? Like, actually looking into it, but that plays into their um, preference for research and prefer- preparation, you know, using those skills. Um versus understanding like you say that even the people who seem popular and outgoing like everyone has doubts 
it's okay to mess things up. People make mistakes or look silly or fall over or spill things down them. And that's fine. Like life is a mess and it's okay not to be perfect all the time. So there's, like you say, there's stuff around perception and then there's practical kind of skills that are going to help them, tools really, that are going to help them to um, to interact or maybe um start friendships or follow up on things often I think kids expect perhaps relationships to just land in their lap and they don't realize that you know maybe the person who sat next to them who said hi was trying to start a conversation and and make friends um they don't realize that they need to say hi back and maybe ask questions about their day or you know share something um, yeah. that they've seen that's interesting rather than just kind of expecting to go from high to will you come to my party right actually that reminds me my daughter came home yesterday frustrated mom I need to get pencils I just bought her pencils <laughs> like a whole pack I need pencils what have you done with your pencils this boy that she actually has already said a couple weeks ago that she thinks he's kind of cute he keeps asking me for a pencil and every day he's asking for a new one because he's lost the one that I just gave him and I'm like <laughs> last night I'm like I think he likes you like I think that's his way of ensuring that he has to come to you to have some sort of interaction and you know, cause she's very, very shy, very, very shy. And I think she misses a lot of these types of things as well. Right. And, and so her thinking about it, she, she didn't say, no, it's not. Cause I've, you know, in the past I wondered, no, it's not. But this time I think she's actually starting to think about these different interactions and how can I be different? Cause normally she's just, here you go. And then quiet and then back to my work, but not trying to continue the engagement. So I just was kind of reminded of that's that. That's so cute. But also, like, he might be really shy. And the only way he can talk to her is by asking for a pencil. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And these are high school students. So, you know, yeah, it's kind of awkward. And I think social media, um, texting, like, I think it's taken away the art of conversation and communicating face to face with each other. You know, I think this younger generation has really missed out on a lot of important developmental opportunities. And then the lockdown, of course, with COVID, I mean, that robbed them. So I'm seeing kiddos who are just almost traumatized coming back into school this year, you know, those early elementary kids who just are clingy to the teacher and trying to self-soothe. And it's just because it's overwhelming and they've never had all of this interaction in the loud classroom. So I think, you know, it's going to be interesting the next few years, just seeing how these kiddos turn up. Cause they're, I would say the shyness prevalence has probably increased quite a bit just because of the lost opportunities I would say so definitely um and I think that um also social like the more extremes social anxiety people that never had anything like that before now do but um the quieter kids the shock of coming back into school having been at home maybe with just your your parents maybe a couple of siblings back into room full rooms filled with loud like many loud people bustling around a school having to kind of fight for um you know attention or to be heard it's quite easy to go oh actually I might just not bother I'll just stand back and see what happens um and if nobody's 
kind of paying attention or watching out for those kids, it's very easy for that um, stepping back and missing out to become a habit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, any, I mean, I, I think I could go on forever about this because this is definitely a topic that I'm passionate about and certainly you are as well. Any last minute tips, things, considerations that the adults in a shy child's life should know about? Um, I would say watch out for the signs. Like if you're getting those kind of mentions from the teacher needs to put hand up more, um, ask your kids what they need. Like, how can you support them? Um, I would also, I am biased, but I would recommend my book for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, um, it normalizes shyness. It explains how and why, and has lots of suggestions for things to do, um, that will help. Um, also if you're worried about your kid I get messages from parents a lot so feel free to message me I'll get back to you Um, and I would say just make your kids realize that it's okay perhaps share a story of a time when you were shy and it might not be that you consider yourself to be a shy person but you probably have had a time where you felt a bit uncertain or a bit um, like you wanted to hide. So talk to your kids so that they feel able to talk to you about it because the last thing we want is for them to bottle it up and just keep quiet about it and it kind of grows and grows and becomes something that's quite difficult to handle later on in life. I think that's such an important point and I'll put your contact information, links to your book in, in the show notes. And that is like the normalization piece, because I think a lot of them will bottle it up and feel like they're the only one. And over time, you know, shame settles in, depression settles in. We're looking at, you know, something that's beautiful that we can embrace that turns into a mental health concern when we don't talk about it and we don't normalize it and embrace it. So, yeah, exactly. And it's so easy to, to, to talk about it's nothing to be ashamed of and and like you said if you don't talk about it which we have a tendency not to do because we'd rather not talk about very much um you know it does it does lead to kind of not great things later so um if you have a shy child um I would love it if you you know over dinner or whilst you're driving to say mention the fact that you heard this lady from England talking about shyness today and it reminded you of a time when you were shy and you know it's okay and that it's a normal human experience or emotion and or personality type whatever you want to call it and there's nothing to be embarrassed about we all get we all feel shy sometimes yeah wonderful well thank you so much for joining me on the show today thank you so much for having me Oh, 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 oh,